Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew.
And that was Coyote Dance by Robbie Robinson and the Red Road Ensemble. In tonight's show, I'm going to share with you one of a handful of terrifying experiences I've had while encountering hostile entities. While I do not classify any of these encounters as demonic, several of them possess distinct threats to my physical well-being. So if you have the nerve, turn down the lights, for this is one of those encounters. The story that you're about to hear is an amazing tale that some will find terribly frightening and may have you looking over your shoulder the next time you enter a dark basement or an old building. The thing that most people will find unsettling with this story is the fact that it is 100% true and happened exactly as it's told. I know this for a fact because it happened to me. I call this story a lesson in power. It was a mid-October afternoon in the quiet little town of Spirit Lake, which is nestled in the beautiful forest of North Idaho. As I drove through the center of town, it seemed very peaceful and serene with its older buildings and lakeview scenery. I had been here a few times before and always had an odd feeling about the place. Nothing bad, just, just odd. I didn't know if it was because the, the town's name created an atmosphere of the supernatural in my mind, or if it was something else on a more subtle level, pulling at the strings of my subconscious. Whatever it was, I was not concerned with it at the moment. I was too busy enjoying the late afternoon sunshine, as it made the changing leaves in the trees seem to glow with a fiery myriad of mixed colors ranging from yellow and orange to the most breathtaking crimson red. Reaching my uh, destination, I coasted to a stop in front of a very old and run-down church that was desperately needing a total renovation from the ground up, which just happened to be the, the reason I was there. I was a glazer at the time, specializing in custom window replacement, and someone had apparently called my office to request a bid for saving the stained glass windows and replacing all the other windows with more modern ones. The air had a cool, still briskness to it that was common for this time of year, allowing me to see my breath as I stepped out of my truck. I couldn't help noticing that although the air was very still, there were a number of red and orange leaves swirling on the ground in front of the steps leading to the entrance of this old run-down church. In retrospect, I would come to understand that what I had just seen was an omen an omen warning of the horror that I was about to walk into. Armed with nothing more than a tape measure, clipboard, and a pencil, I rounded the front of the truck heading for the church's large weathered front doors and stopped dead in my tracks when I saw that one of the doors that had been shut when I pulled up was now standing two feet open. This place was supposed to be empty. No one was meeting me here. I had been given a key that was left at my office with instructions on what needed to be measured. I stood there, frozen in place, looking at the front door standing ajar, trying to rationalize the possibilities. Perhaps I was mistaken, and I had thought that the doors were shut. 
Maybe the door wasn't locked, and a gust of wind blew the door open. Then I remembered that there was no wind. Even the strange circle of leaves orbiting in a vortex on the ground had stopped. Then I got that feeling. I'm sure at one time you all have felt it. A tingling at the back of your neck as a hair stood on end, followed by a very unsettling feeling in your abdomen, and a knowing that someone or something was watching you. Then a rational, logical thought burst through the fear-fed self-preservation instinct that was growing inside my body, and I shook my head and said out loud, You've got to be kidding me. Snap out of it, Mark. A week before Halloween, and you're letting your imagination take control. Well, that kind of broke the spell, and I found my feet leading me once again to the open door. Just as I reached the door, I looked to my right, and sitting on a broken shingle upon the roof was a very large crow. We stared at each other for a second or two, and then it let out the loudest caw that I had ever heard a crow do. It startled me so much that I dropped my clipboard and nearly fell off backwards off the steps. This was another omen. But instead of heeding its warning, I cursed at the bird and looked for something to throw at it. Recomposing myself, I decided just to get this thing over with and uh, get out of here. So I picked up my clipboard, took a deep breath, and stepped through the doorway. Man, inside, the view was so surreal. It was like a scene out of a, a Stephen King novel. The first thing I noticed was that the large room was lit up with parallel slats of filtered sunlight. Looking to the high arch ceilings, I saw that most of the outer roof was completely gone, leaving only a series of about three-inch wide baseboard separated by uh, half-inch openings running the entire distance to the roof. I thought to myself, this place must leak like crazy when it rains. And then I wondered how safe the wood floor was beneath my feet. I noticed that someone had removed all the pews, leaving one big room with a crumbling podium at the far end. I headed for the podium area to start my measurements, cringing as each board creaked and groaned as if to protest the, to the presence of my weight. About halfway to the podium, still not being able to shake that feeling of being watched, I turned around and saw that the door that I had left open was now closed, and I stopped and said out loud again, Oh, hell no! And I made it back to the front door in about three giant leaps and grabbed the door knob half expecting it to be jammed and jerked it open, almost pulling it off its hinges. Feeling both relieved and and a tad bit embarrassed, I, I found a broken board in the corner and propped the, uh, the door open, checking it at least three times to, before finally feeling secure enough to continue. Trying to ignore the creaking floor, I made it uh, back to the podium and started measuring the windows and worked my way around the entire perimeter of the main floor, looking over my shoulder whenever I was not measuring. My spirits were, were up as I finished the last window and prepared to make my exit until I read the bottom of the estimate sheet, which read, Measure all basement windows for complete replacement. I whispered under my breath, 
Oh my god. And got a plummeting feeling in the pit of my stomach as I realized that basement windows had to be measured from the inside. I really had no reason to have these feelings of trepidation. Everything up to that point could be written off as either an overactive imagination, but my body was telling me something was just not right. It would not be long until these feelings were justified. I scanned the room for a door that might lead into the basement, half hoping not to find it. When uh, my eyes stopped on a door partially ajar in the furthest corner from the main entry doors. I sighed and walked toward it. When I opened the door, it did a classic haunted house squeak and groan, and I thought to myself in a sarcastic tone, that's perfect. It was very dark at the end of the stairs, which consisted of two flights running down and turning a 90-degree corner halfway down. There was just enough light filtered through the dirt-covered windows to illuminate the steps in shadows and expose the countless number of spider webs that seemed to be everywhere. Now, I hate spiders. I had nightmares as a kid that I would fall into a nest of black widows and, and be covered with hundreds of them meeting my doom, and that alone should have made me turn around and leave, but for some reason I cautiously pressed forward using my clipboard and tape measure to clear any webs that I might encounter. When I reached the bottom of the stairs, it seemed to be much colder than it should be. I could see my, my breath billowing clouds of moisture. There was a lot of junk down there. Large boxes, broken chairs, and an old water heater and boiler that seemed to be out of commission. It was hard to make things out down there because more than half of the room was in shadows. There were six windows that I could see, and, and the good news was that they all seemed to be the same size, so if I could measure just one, I could finish quickly and get my butt out of there. I made my way over to the far side of the basement, to a window that was easy to reach, and began to take a measurement when I got that bad, bad feeling in the pit of my stomach and, and goosebumps all over my body stood to attention shouting out their warnings. I knew instantly that this was different. This was not my imagination. I was trembling inside, still facing the window with my back to the room, scared beyond reason at what I might find if I turned around. I started turning slowly to my left, and halfway through, I turned completely around to face whatever might be there, and my worst horror was realized. Hovering only about a foot away from my face were two pinkish-red orbs of light about the size of quarters, like two eyes staring right into mine. My back was to the wall and my entire body was shaking uncontrollably. I felt like I was about to throw up. All I could do was stand there, frozen in fear. I felt paralyzed. I was shaking so violently, trying to stop the convulsions in my body and feeling tired, almost as if I was about to pass out. 
Then I saw something that shook me back to my senses. These pinkish-red orbs had a body that was not well-defined, but a body just the same. It was like the heat waves you see rising from an open oven door, a kind of translucent form that's not quite solid. I knew at that moment that I was about to be attacked by whatever this thing was, and my self-preservation instincts must have kicked in because I made a flying leap to my left and sprinted for the staircase, stumbling over everything in my path, not wanting to look back or slow down. By the time I saw it, it was too late. The entity had somehow moved around me and stood between me and the staircase. I was running full speed and had no way to stop, so I went right through it and fell to the floor instantly. Passing through what Ever it is felt like a, an electrical numbing shock. My muscles failed me, causing me to crash to the floor. I managed to get my get to my feet, knowing that I had only seconds before it grabbed me. When suddenly my body acted almost on its own, assuming a crouch, crouching back and bent knee position. As my right hand started rapidly beating against my thigh like a Hawaiian slap dancer, beating out the rhythm of a fast-paced song. Then it all came back to me in an instant. You see, at that time, I was in an apprenticeship with a Toltec shaman that I had met years before at UCLA. His teaching methods were rather unorthodox at times, and often I had no idea why he had me do the many things that I did or why he made me practice them over and over without explaining the meaning of the exercise. Sometimes I had uh, to do things that made me feel ridiculous. The strange actions and, and movements that I was now in the middle of were a perfect example of this fact. Although I didn't know it at the time, using this odd technique of body movement somehow protected my personal energy from being touched. And not only that, but I noticed that the more I did it, the stronger I felt, and the dimmer the entity in front of me became. It was as if I was taking back the energy, my own personal chi, that had been absorbed from me by the entity's attack, or perhaps I was even taking the life force from the entity. The entity faded into the shadows, and I took that moment to bolt up the stairs, leaving my clipboard behind in the dirt. I reached the still-open front door and leaped off the front porch uh, steps with my feet still running through the air, and when they hit the ground, I headed toward my truck. At that moment, I slowed to a cautious walk because someone or something was sitting in the front seat of my truck. I stopped completely in my truck, squinting my eyes to try to see through the glare of the windshield who or or what was in my truck. Just then, I heard the all-too-familiar roar of laughter coming from inside my truck and an arm waved for me to approach. It was my mentor, my shamanic teacher, laughing so hard that he could barely catch his breath to say, Marcos, you are too funny. I thought you were going to fly home when I saw you leap off the stairs. Then he busted into another laughing fit. I, on the other hand, was not laughing. I called him a few words that I cannot repeat on this show, and 
accused him of setting this whole thing up, which he responded in another outburst of uncontrollable laughter. He managed to say, Yes. Why, yes, I did, and continued laughing and pointing to my pants, saying, Why, Marcos, you seem to have peed yourself. Looking down, I, um, I saw that he was right, and I shook my head and laughed along with him. I never could stay angry with him very long. After he stopped laughing long enough, he made me go back and get my clipboard and said to select two small stones from the basement wall and place them in my pocket. He explained that when a warrior battles for energy, that he should take a stone from the area as a symbol of power and conquest over that person or entity. He said that it makes a strong addition to my personal totem bag, a leather pouch containing personal objects of power. He went on to explain that he had indeed set up the encounter, knowing that there was an entity trapped within the church, and that it was a lesson for me, a lesson in personal power. He said that other entities as well as people can drain your personal life force using fear or intimidation, causing the energy to flow from you into their own energy reserves. He said this happens every day when people argue and fight, or intimidated by another person. But it is fear that is the strongest catalyst. The greater the fear, the greater the energy drain. He said that if my body had not remembered to use the warrior's stance, when it did, I may have been in danger of losing consciousness or worse. He went on to say that when one loses consciousness, the attack usually stops because there is no more fear and therefore no more energy flow. After expressing my concerns for others that may venture into this old church, he explained that only people who have had special training or natural psychics would be able to see this entity. The average person will get the feeling that they are not alone or being watched, perhaps even catch a glimpse of movement, but would never be in any real danger. They, they may hurt themselves running away, but they wouldn't be in any danger from the entity. A gifted or trained person is in much greater danger and could die literally of fright if they were not aware of what was going on. I looked at him with anger growing in my eyes and said, You mean I could have actually died down there? He grinned ear to ear, eyes sparkling, and said, Nah, I would never let that happen. You give me too many good laughs, Marcos, and we all need to laugh. Thank you for allowing me to share this story with you. I hope it will be the first of many that I will mix in from time to time between my regular shows. In parting, I will leave you with this one thought. There is great power in knowing and acknowledging the source of your fears, but you are defeated the moment that you surrender to them. Never allow your fears to control your actions. I would like to give all my listeners who are vampire fans 
a heads up about a new body of knowledge that I have come across in the form of an online daily journal of a vampire named Satin. The thing to pay close attention to is the information she is revealing seems to be the real deal, and some of it has never been released in print anywhere. I know this because some of the information parallels the yet unreleased core knowledge of my Toltec shamanic lineage. Satine was born in the late 15th century on October 10, 1481, in London, England. She was one of the few that were fortunate enough to have been born into a very wealthy family, making life easier than most others around her, or so it seemed, to the outside world. As she grew up, she began to realize that she was much different from most everyone around her. Sometimes, being a vampire is not a choice you have, but instead, a life you are already destined to follow. The Vampire's Journal is a daily journal of Satine's life, how she became the way she is, the emotions and thoughts of an eternal being, the bloodlust of centuries past, her walk-in experiences, and the etheric manifestations of shape-shifting. In her own words, I quote her greeting to you. Welcome to the Vampire's Journal. I am Satine. I have created this site to provide you with a rare yet real insight into the life and existence of vampires. Take heed and pay close attention to what you find here, for I am disclosing real knowledge that has never been published anywhere in the world. The information and techniques that you are about to discover in these pages at the Vampire's Journal are the secrets that have existed since the beginning of time. The secrets of immortality and unimaginable power. To all who possess an unquenchable thirst for knowledge and power, and to all who want to live forever, I bid you welcome as I pull back the veil and allow entry into my world, the world of real vampires. Now, um, is Satine a fictional character? Are the secrets she is sharing in her daily journal entries a stuff of fiction? Or is this one of those very rare glimpses of an ancient body of knowledge known only to a select few? Go to the Vampire's Journal and decide for yourself. You can visit the Vampire's Journal by going to thevampiresjournal.com and see for yourself what is creating such a stir in both the world of the living as well as the world of the undead. You can also find a link on my page, www.theshamansbrew.com. I will be doing a series in the near future concerning vampires, and perhaps I can even get Satine to come on the show as a guest, so be sure to stay tuned for that.
that was a little number from Red Rider called Lunatic Fringe. And now a word from my friends Gary and Ruth from the Celtic Myth Pod Show. The remains of the wild boar are going cold on the table, and the clan are resting around the fire. The ale is flowing freely, but then Uncle Ned calls for a tale. But where's the bard? Drunk and unconscious under the table. <laughs> That's when you need the Celtic Myth Poncho, bringing tales and stories of the ancient Celts to your fireside. A fresh tale from the best loved legends twice a month and available from CelticMythPoncho.com. And the bard can hear it later. Tonight I want to share with you my very first paranormal investigation that took place in Van Nuys, California almost 40 years ago to the day. It was mid-January 1970, and while I was still in high school at the time, I was already a young budding parapsychologist, eager to get the opportunity to investigate a real haunted house. I had read everything on the topic that I can get my hands on by this time, including books by J.B. Rhine, Susie Smith, Nandor Fordor, and one of my all-time heroes, Hans Holzer. Back in those days, it was uh, a really new field, and, and people did not always share their personal stories with strangers, making it difficult to find uh, investigation opportunities, especially if you're a kid still in high school. The only people I knew that actually had paranormal phenomenon occurring uh, in their home was my aunt and uncle who lived in Van Nuys in Southern California. Their house was uh, very active with all types of paranormal happenings and it would be a perfect place for me to investigate. However, my uncle was a hardcore skeptic and refused to accept the possibility of a ghost even when he saw things happening right before his eyes firsthand. His explanations for the many events were, uh, were so absurd they were comical. Because of this, he would not allow anyone to speak about its presence. Consequently, the chance of me ever getting, uh, getting in there for any type of investigation was next to none. Then one day, I learned that they were going away for a couple days, and my aunt, knowing of my interest in the case and wanting some answers for herself, told me that I could spend the night there and house-sit for them, or should I say ghost-sit, uh, if I was interested. If I was interested, I accepted her offer and told her I would be back there as soon as I could get a ride. She told me where the uh, spare key was and, and not to tell her husband about it, regardless of what happened, uh, what I happened to find out. I asked a friend to go with me and help me with the investigation, and he said he would, which, which was cool because he had the car and I didn't. Well, the big night came, and as I waited for my friend to show up, I double-checked all my gear, which in the 1970s consisted of a borrowed 35mm camera, a flashlight, a notepad and pencil, a compass, and, uh, and a photometer that I borrowed from the physics lab at school, which was basically a weather vane-like device in a glass vacuum chamber used to demonstrate the pressure of electromagnetic waves. 
The last piece of equipment in my arsenal was my pride and joy. A reel-to-reel battery-operated tape recorder. Yeah, I said reel-to-reel. You see, at that time in history, most paranormal investigations were done with old-school techniques, which still have some advantages uh, even today. We didn't have portable camcorders, EMF meters, or infrared surveillance equipment. We used primitive recording devices, paper and pencils for taking notes, and 35mm cameras. Most of all, we relied on our own senses and trained awareness to detect phenomenon. Today, with all of our high-tech equipment, we get lost in the technology and spend most of our time looking through the camera lenses or um, at the faces of our EMF meters, and we tend to lose the human side of the experience. And in the process, we overlook a lot that our equipment cannot see. We also miss a lot of the thrill and excitement of the adventure. Today, I will sometimes go into an investigation naked. Um, I, I mean, I have clothes on. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't go naked, but uh, I take nothing but my eyes and ears and inner sense as I feel my way through the darkness. It may not bring back uh, any evidence, but I will always remember the thrill of the experience, and sometimes that is what we paranormal investigators are really after in the first place. Anyway, back to 1970 and the investigation. After triple-checking all my gear and making sure I had new batteries and plenty of film, I finally called to see where my friend was. Turns out his parents said that he could not go after all, so I was not only without an assistant, I was without a ride too. It wasn't until the next day that I finally procured another ride, but that left me only that night to investigate, and I had to be out by morning. I got into the house about two in the afternoon, let myself in with the hidden key, and immediately I felt as though I was being watched. Suddenly, I was having doubts that I could actually go through with this alone, especially when I knew I had to go lights out if this investigation was going to be successful. I sat just inside the front door on the sofa, trying to see if it was my imagination or was something actually watching me. No matter how I analyzed the feeling, it was not going away. So I decided I should check the house out by making sure all the windows and doors were locked, looking under the beds and in the closets to make sure no one was uh, hiding there thinking they would play a trick on me. After I was convinced the house was devoid of any human entities, I settled back with a coke and started going over my notes concerning the known history of the haunting. Based on what my aunt and cousins had told me about their own experiences in the house, it all started about two years prior when they first moved into the house. This was a middle-class neighborhood in the better part of town, and the house was only about ten years old when they took possession of it. After uh, settling in, my uncle went up to the attic and, and found a few items uh, left behind the, by the previous tenants 
including what looked like a handmade coffin about three feet long. It looked like it was made for a small child or a baby. After everyone put their two cents in on what should be done with the coffin, uh, my uncle decided to chop it up and burn it. Probably not the wisest thing, but uh, he did. He chopped it up and burned it in the fireplace. That night was when the events began with, uh, with just simple knockings on the walls and doors. Very subtle, but distinct. Over the next uh, few nights, the knockings became louder and more frequent. And my uncle, being the diehard skeptic that he is, blamed it on uh, the house settling or rodents in the wall. After checking all these uh, things out and finding none of these to be the case, he still would not accept the possibility of a ghost. Over the next few weeks, the activity increased, with lights turning on and off and even lampshades unscrewing and moving across the room while no one was home. My uncle's explanation of this was that um, there was a draft in the house that caused the lampshades to spin around and around and lift up and land 15 feet away on a sofa for three days in a row. One night while my uh, two cousins, who slept in the same double bed, uh, tried to get to sleep after hearing an unusual amount of uh, wrappings on the wall, the blanket covering them slowly lifted up and hung in mid-air at their feet and dropped to the floor as they screamed for their dad. Another time, the very distinct and strong smell of cologne worn by my older cousin, who was in Vietnam at the time, permeated the entire house and caused a frenzy of phone calls to the Navy from my aunt trying to find out if he was okay. This same cousin had two children, age two and three, living in the house at this time, who uh, one day mysteriously ended up with uh, candy bars, and there were no candy bars in the house at all. When they were asked by my aunt uh, where they came from, where they got the candy bars from, the three-year-old uh, said that the nice man who picked them up gave the candy bars to him and then walked through the wall. After that, the, uh, the first adult sighting took place when my aunt stepped out of her bedroom into the hallway at about 4 a.m. in the morning and a glowing mist came at her from one end of the hallway, went right past her and shot up through the ceiling. She stood frozen. She didn't know what to do, what to say. She couldn't even scream. Needless to say, everyone but my uncle was very unnerved about all these events. This uh, last event took place about uh, six months prior to me being there on, uh, on the night of my investigation. As darkness approached, I found myself turning on every light in the house, trying to convince myself that nothing would harm me and that what is not there in the light is also not there in the dark. I think I saw that on TV or something. Regardless, it wasn't working, and I was thinking about uh, backing out of the entire investigation. I think it was the realization that 
If I did not face my fears right here and now, then I would have to give up on my dream of being a parapsychologist forever. And uh, that kind of shook me uh, shook me up a little bit and gave me the courage to uh, proceed. You have to remember that at this time I had no formal shamanic training and I was totally unaware of how to protect myself. All I had was my flashlight. So I decided if I was going to do this I was going to do it right and I grabbed my flashlight, my tape recorder and my camera and started to turn off all the lights in the house. After the last light went out I felt a shiver go up my back and the play of shadows from the outside streetlights were totally freaking me out. But I closed my eyes, I took a deep breath, and I pressed record on the recorder and proceeded to every room where I would ask if anyone was there and why they were in the house. Then I would snap a couple of pictures and occasionally turn my flashlight on to see where I was going or to illuminate a dark, uh, creepy corner. Just as I left the master bedroom, I stopped dead in my tracks because the living room lamp had just turned on. My heart was beating so fast I swear I could hear it as I called out, Hello? No answer. So I slowly crept down the, uh, the hallway, half expecting someone or something to jump out at me at any moment. When I reached the end of the hallway, I held my flashlight up as a club and lunged into the living room with a loud yell. Nothing was there, but the lamp was still on. So I turned it off, and trust me, that was hard to go back to lights out at this point, but I had to do it for myself. Then I thought that um, maybe the switch was shorting out. So I unplugged the lamp from the wall and walked through uh, the house with my flashlight into the kitchen. Just as I took a drink of water from a glass, the living room light turned back on again and I dropped the glass and yelled. I stood there for about two minutes trying to get the courage to go back and see how the light could be on after I unplugged it. Even now as I relate the story to you, I get goosebumps and chills up my back. I finally went into the living room and the lamp I had unplugged was on. I remember having tears welling up in my eyes, tears of pure fear, as I peeked behind the sofa to see the lamp plugged back into the wall. Seeing this, I yelled out, Oh my God, and staggered backward against the wall. This was no short. This was a ghost playing with me, taunting me. I was terrified. But I figured if I can get through this, I can get through anything the future might hold. So I left the room, intending to leave the light on. But as soon as I entered the kitchen again, the light went off and I ran through the kitchen into the hallway knowing I had only two more rooms to investigate and I would have won and at least proven myself. I made it through the next room with my flashlight on all the time. I had had enough of this investigating in complete darkness. Upon re-entering the main hallway, I discovered one more common problem encountered by investigators to this very day. Battery drain. 
My flashlight went completely dead, and no amount of pounding it in my hand was going to bring it back. I did not have extra batteries because people did not know of this problem in the early days of paranormal investigating, and since it would be almost 40 years before I would find the solution to this problem, I found myself in the dark. By the way, if um, any one of you would like to know how to prevent this battery drainage problem, I will be giving a link at the end of the show with my email and if you contact me and ask me about it, I'll be happy to share the technique with you. So there I was, in a dark house, standing in a hallway only partially lit by shadows cast by outside streetlights. And I was not sure where my last room was, or how to get out of the house without going back through that living room. I started feeling the wall for a light switch or a door opening as I walked down the hall and... Then I found a door, and I turned the corner and entered the room. I froze instantly, unable to move or even scream, because standing there, right before me in the dim reflected light, was the shadow of a person looking directly at me. I thought I was going to die right then and there as I reached for the spot where I thought a light switch should be. I hit the switch, and a roar echoed through the room, and a light came on and I saw the evil horror staring at me with the most terrifying look on its face. I screamed, and the figure screamed back at me, because it was me, standing in front of a mirror in the hallway bathroom. The roar was the fan exhaust switch that I had hit at the same time. I started yelling and cussing at myself for being such an idiot, and then I broke into kind of a maniacal laugh realizing that this was the last room and I'd done it. I had enough. I had to get out. So I ran out, leaving the lights on to the end of the hallway and out the back door into the patio area. It was just about sunrise so I decided to walk to the corner and use a payphone to have someone pick me up. So this was my first investigation of many to follow over the next four decades. But never again did I get the chance to go back to this same house, as my relatives moved shortly afterwards. But not because of the haunting. At least, not according to my uncle. Oh, and uh, I later found out that I had captured voices on my tape recorder, calling my name and then laughing probably at uh, my fumbling antics. Now let's take a break with a little more Gaia Consort performing Just Because. I don't 
churchman to show me what's holy when I see you in the doorway surrounded in light. I don't need a guidebook to read out my story. I don't need a road map to find my way back home. So why? Tell me why? How long? How long? What did why? Just Thank you for listening to tonight's show. You can hear the archives of this show or any others by going to jackalope105fm.com and clicking on archives. If you have any questions, you can contact me directly from my webpage, www.theshamansbrew.com. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network.